and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm interviewing the amazing Gabrielle Harris, yin yoga teacher, yoga curator, yin yoga educator, and author of the most incredible books. We're going to be talking a lot about the language of yin, the power of language in the yoga classroom, and how teachers can start to refine their skills and to develop their teaching skills not only in yin yoga, but also in flow yoga. It's a great conversation if you are a yoga teacher listening or even someone that's looking to find more ways to expand their communication. It's full of nuggets in how to develop your teaching and it's just a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get into it. (laughs) Hi, Gabrielle. Hi, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How's your day going? Great. I've just taught some yoga online, so I'm all prepared for this interview. Yes, it's fresh, fresh in the mind and the body. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty excited actually about speaking about yin and teachers Mm -hmm. and teaching yin and teaching yoga in general. It's a great passion of mine. It has been for about seven, maybe 25 years. So 25 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I I started teaching when I was three. No, no, I'm, I'm quite old. <laughs> well, um, for our wonderful audience members, I would love to start by handing you the floor and, and just telling us what you'd like to share about your journey through yoga, maybe how you came to yin yoga, what it means to you, and we'll just go from there. Does that sound okay? Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so I um, have been teaching for maybe 12, 13 years yoga, but Previous to that, I was a TESOL teacher, so I taught English to speakers of other languages. So I taught people how to speak English here in New Zealand and all around the world. So I've always, always had a bit of a teaching background or bent to me. And that's important because later on you'll find out why a lot of the work that I do is based on, on the methods that we use for teaching people other languages or English in particular. But in terms of yoga, I'm the person that um, saw a yoga course advertised and thought that would be a great idea to do without actually having done yoga before. (laughs) So I'm the person that I really advise other people against, you know, going on to a teacher training without having done yoga. Although I had a great interest in movement and prior to that I was teaching group fitness classes and sort of a yogi type body balance one, yoga and tai chi. Yeah, but anyway, the course that I picked was a hot power yoga course, and um, that was a bit of a shock to the system and uh, <laughs> a bit of a rude awakening. And in fact, I found it really difficult physically, mentally challenging. You know, doing these postures in, in very, um, you know, very hot rooms, and I used to feel quite exhausted afterwards. Um, good at the time, but they were very. I found them very depleting in terms of my energy. Um, so, but I did that for a few years and I taught that, that system, the hot power yoga, but, um, yeah, I just got more and more depleted and around that time, yin started to make a bit of a entrance, I guess, into New Zealand. I mean, I feel that in New Zealand, we're a little bit behind the rest of the world, but that may or may not be a generalization. And yeah, so they started doing yin in studios and I didn't really know much about it and about 10 years ago, I started practicing yin. Um, 
And then I thought, oh, you know, I would like to learn more about it to teach it. So I, there were there weren't any courses in New Zealand, so I don't know how people are being trained or where they were getting their information from. And so I decided to um, get a, a yoga teacher training in, in Yin to New Zealand, bring one here. And so mm. I go straight to the top, pull grilly. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> come to New Zealand and do a, a yin training um, but I mean he's a busy guy and I didn't know that and that's the, that's the beauty of not knowing just, you know barge straight in but he suggested uh, uh, some of his senior teachers so from then on I had um, them all come to New Zealand and I did ran several uh, courses with his senior teachers here in New Zealand um, mm. And that 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 I did that for seven years until COVID hit. So yeah, mm. did lots of different trainings. Right. So instead of maybe going to train with Paul, you found some of his senior crew and said, "Hey, come mm. to my hometown. I'll train with yeah. you as you train, but then I'll help facilitate <laughs> for the community here." That's brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and gosh, the courses were so well received and we had lots of fun and we learned so much and yeah, it was great. And yeah, so I did I I hosted teachers from all around the world. It wasn't just in Yin, it was in all disciplines, like, you know, all the big big names really. I you know cherry picked the people that I wanted to train with and asked them over. Mm. So yeah, that's how I got so many hours in in yoga, like over a thousand hours of training. Um, yeah. And do you run your own trainings, or have you always been more of a facilitator and sort of brought different people with different skills to where you are? Well, uh, I I just did my first yin training this year, actually. Oh, uh, yeah, the beginning of this year, and and that took a lot of guts to do because. I'd been surrounded by these giants and then they left because of COVID and so there's no more yin training. So I thought, well, I better step up now. The things that take guts, right? I mean, we, we all have those blockages within us about what we think we can and can't do and that was my one. I'm never going to teach a teacher training. I'm not good enough, but you know, yeah. I did it and it was fine and people liked it and it was cool. And well, I think they liked it. They said they did. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of work actually. So that, and I've got my second one coming up soon. So. Oh, great. Congratulations. And you know what? I, I, I think about what you've just shared and I think to myself, I actually think it's incredibly gutsy for you to have been um, coordinating so much amazing activity and for you to be uh, essentially creating training programs for New Zealand that takes a lot of guts to step up and go hey I see that there's a need here and I'm going to actually put it out there and ask people to come versus someone that might just go oh I'll just run it myself mm-hmm. I guess it's just a different way of looking at it but um, I'm really gl- glad that you've found that oh, that next step to go you know what I've been doing this for a long time I'm going to start <laughs> running a training myself yeah, there's a lot of fear, isn't there? I mean, and we can talk about that with writing a book as well, but sometimes you just have to step over and 
everything that you imagined could or would happen doesn't usually happen. It's not usually as bad as what we build up in our heads. Uh, and that same sort of fear, I think, is um, prevalent in new teachers. And I mean, this is maybe going off topic, but it's the same thing on a different level. They never start teaching their first class because they, they have this fear. But sometimes you just have to jump into it. Yeah. And that, that, that's why jumping into a teacher training without any knowledge actually worked for me. <laughs> yeah, because you're not, you're not sure what you should be apprehensive about because it's actually so brand new that you just go, yeah, I'll do this. I'll jump in. Yes, exactly. The, the fear's not there. Yeah. Mm. Are you observing a lot of teachers now? Because I've, I've had a lot to do with mentoring teachers and, and lecturing at yoga colleges, a yoga college in Melbourne, that there's this, uh, and I think it's worldwide in all sorts of different fields, but the fear is really different now because a lot of the fresh graduates may not have taught any classes in a room because they did their trainings predominantly online mm. and the gap is even wider now because those practical skills and just the, the different feeling that you mm. get when you're in a room versus a screen mm. is creating even more overwhelm with mm. okay so how do I even get into a studio I've never really even taught a class before and I'm supposed to be a yoga teacher oh how do I how do I move through that <laughs> overwhelm well, it, that's natural. I mean, teaching live is a, is a live performance. You can't edit it. There's no control, mm. alt, delete, is there? And, you know, public speaking, which it is in some ways, it's a form of public speaking, is, is one of the greatest fears along with death and divorce. Mm. So it's very natural to feel that way, I think. Um, yeah, you, you need to, to get some. But the thing is... It, the more you put it off, the harder it gets. I've yes. seen it with the, the more you say, I'm not quite ready, I'm not quite ready, I'm not quite ready. It's it's a slippery slope. Mm. Yeah. It's You'll never true. be ready. You, you are, you're, you're never, ever going to be ready. I was never going to be ready, ready for a teacher training course. I was never going to be ready to write a book. It's no way near perfect, anything that I do. It, it never will be. Mm. And if you wait till you're ready and you're perfect, you, you'll just be sitting around for the rest of your life waiting for, for that and it's never going to come. Yeah, I had a fabulous mentor guide me through that years and years ago when I was mm. asked to step up and become a lecturer, lecturing in anatomy and yin yoga and language at a college. And I've definitely got that perfectionism trait, mm. like everything needs to be done really well or it's not done well at all, which I'm working mm. through. But he said to me, you you have no idea how much you already know and how much you have to share. If you're thinking about how not ready you are, you're, you're sort of disrespecting how much you already do know and you'll be surprised mm. how well you do if you just start. So just start, just begin, which oh, was wonderful. So good. And, and this is one of my points that I'd like to give to teachers and that is don't confuse knowledge for being a good teacher don't confuse having more and more knowledge for being a better teacher because you can teach really well with nothing not much knowledge not much practice not much information you just need to to find out what it is that you're good at and do that very well and that's why i find people 
they confuse and I was like that I was a serial course goer just one more course <laughs> just one more course um but I don't know if it's made me a better teacher it's given me more information but teaching skills don't rely on knowing more they rely yeah. on practice mm. And if you've done a course and there hasn't been space around it to actually feel it in your body and implement it, even if it's one skill, and then you jump into some other whole paradigm of knowledge and then you jump into another one, it's probably likely that the first course that you did, you'll hardly remember anything that you learned. Even if you, I look, I look back at the notes I write in courses and I write impeccable notes, but I look back and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I really connected to this in the moment can't quite remember what they were saying at this point in time. But what I try to do now is if I, especially in acupuncture, because I'm a practicing acupuncturist as well, if I learn a new skill, I just want to practice that as many times as I can to get a good feel for it before thinking, oh, I need to learn this course on postpartum care or this course on yeah. whatever it is. Because unless you actually filter it through your body, and I think this is really relevant for yin teaching as well it's sort of you haven't really learned anything it hasn't been learnt. It, you've just listened to someone well, there's a difference, yeah there's a difference between knowledge and embodiment so like you say if you haven't passed it through your body then it's just information floating in your your brain and i think that's a, another good point for teachers is don't ever be afraid of repetition because sometimes you hear them say, you know, I've got to do something fancy or change it up or have a different routine or a different sequence. But, and I, I'm like that too. Um, I, I like doing that myself. But you can have the most simple practice and it can be the most beautiful practice. Yeah. And you can do it again and again and again. And people will get different things out of it every time. So, yeah, why not? Why not keep repeating yourself? Mm. Yeah, and may maybe this will seg segue into the book. Gabrielle has written the most extraordinary book, which we're going to talk about in this podcast. But don't you find that in yin yoga, and when I'm, when I'm teaching students how to teach yin yoga, I'll often say to them, you could teach the exact same sequence every week and you might just change the concept. You might um, frame it in a different way, bring a different narrative to the sequence some students will probably not even realize that you're teaching the exact same sequence over and over because of the the, the culture shift that you're providing with the class because mm. the you know the, the list of poses that we have in yin yoga is small even though there's so much you can do with it to me i find it's a practice where your creativity is unlimited mm. exactly yeah so we don't need to keep changing things all the time. That's only a pressure we put on ourselves because we feel we have to be everything for everyone and we have to know everything for everyone. So, so put that aside and just teach what you know well. And you're right, you can have different frameworks for the class and that's something we can talk about is why you should set an intention at the beginning of the class for what you want to teach because you could teach from the physical or the mental or the emotional or even from the you know, energetic body, the same sequence, but with a different layering is what you're saying. Mm, mm. Um, do you want to start talking about the book or do you want to share a few more of your 
passionate <laughs> tips for teachers that I mean they'll probably um, keep getting oh I've got through. I've got so many tips for teachers um, <laughs> tell us a few yeah. more tips tell us a few more tips you've got uh, okay okay so um so let's go back to why the sort of overlays with being a language teacher so in the TESOL world teaching English to speakers of other languages we had to we had certain um pedagogy or, or ways to get our meaning across and some of them I think are really important especially in the yin world so one of the biggest ones was we because we taught in English not in their language we had to be really mindful of what's called teacher talking time so we couldn't stand up like in an hour class and talk for 80 percent of that class because it would go over people's heads so we had to there was this thing called teacher talking time and the, what we had to do is get the students to to become more involved in the class so the first one of the first tips i'd like to give young teachers is that we need to reduce the amount of time that we're talking because the more we're talking the less the students are we'll put talking in inverted brackets the less we can see the students the more we talk the less is coming from the students if you know what i mean even though they're not saying anything so i've got a little acronym which i <laughs> might find useful it's, it's called wait and it's it stands for why am i talking mm. so that the 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 wait stands for um First, the first question you should ask yourself is is what I'm about to say is it important like really important and and if it's not important then why are you saying it are you, are you trying to fill a gap because you feel uncomfortable you know after two minutes there's been silence if it's not important just leave, leave it out and, uh, is it relevant to what you're talking about is it Another point is, is, is it necessary? Is it needed? Um, and is it delivered at the right time? So there's the T. So I think if you take that WAIT acronym into your teaching, your vocabulary or the words that you use become a lot more essential. And this, mm. that's how I like to think about it as you're dropping essential oil into the class just little bits here and there yeah. and essential oil is much more potent than a perfume they just spray everywhere um, and it becomes overwhelming for people so that's why yeah. that's fantastic can you just um can you can you say the acronym again for us uh, so it's wait why am i talking <laughs> No, I feel like not saying. <laughs> we'll just we'll just give everyone a minute of silence to digest that. <laughs> Do you find? I just want to dig into that a little bit. Do you find? Because I definitely found this as a as a new teacher, consciously and unconsciously, we have a lot of filler words that we don't even know we're repeating over and over and over again until maybe someone brings it to our attention. Maybe we've got a really hands-on or a really enthusiastic studio manager that brings it to our awareness that mm. hey you know you you actually say the word beautiful over and over and over again in a, in a yoga class or you say from here we will go we'll, we'll be doing this next thing 
And until you, until it's brought to your awareness, you're not you're not understanding, and you probably understand this better because you've you've worked in this field of language, how the brain creates these very short term loops and links for filler words mm. and something that I, cause I've, I have mentored many students and I say to them, if you're up for it, maybe try audio recording your class and listen back to it. Because I feel like a lot of what you just said, Gabby, is consciously weeding, having that nous to become aware of what you're saying and then reflect on it and examine it and sit with it and then start weeding out the unnecessary bits. Well, that's a, that's about creating awareness of yourself, and that's what yoga is, right? Yoga is about creating awareness of yourself. And yeah, if you want to be a top-notch teacher, you've got to do the work. And part of the work is this. Um, well, it's vajaya, self-study, and unless you've got a mentor, yeah, record yourself definitely on film and in um audio and listen to yourself because there are a lot of filler words mm. good i mean good 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 that's good 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 <laughs> what that doesn't it stops meaning anything mm. um so you've got to take some time out to develop a, a word bank or a language bank that you can use different ways of saying the same thing really i think mm. I 100% agree. Um, sometimes I'll say to students, see if you can go away and come up with three or four synonyms, words that mean the same mm. thing as the word perhaps or maybe. You know, we've been very influenced in Melbourne with a lot of trauma-informed yoga. Mm. And sometimes what I find with people that are changing their language through a trauma-informed lens because it's so invitational and they really want to emphasize that you have choice and options in the class is that sentences will often lead with the word perhaps or they'll lead with the word maybe and that that repetition of those words to me can almost become an irritation because mm. it's lost its meaning it's lost its it's lost the sweetness in which it was intended and they they tend to really get stuck on those two words and i think that's the same for good and i think that's the same for beautiful or, or some of the other more common words we hear a lot I think um, the words perhaps and maybe are, they're question words, right? Mm. So questions are great, though. They really are for, for drawing the student out. And I think this is maybe a point we could talk about a little bit, is that we, as well, as a teacher, we are many things. You know, we're a magician, we're a DJ, we're, a, <laughs> we're an a conductor, um, we're a, a block carrier and we've got to do all these things at once and what what I think is really important though is to give agency back to the student and to take ourselves a little bit out of the picture and the way by agency I mean one day and I say this to students one day you won't even need me here you know I'm just here to give you some tools and techniques and guide you so so you'll be able to do this on your own. And the way that we can do that is through questions. And the reason why questions are so powerful is because they force the, the person to, to 
understand what is happening from their point of view rather than us telling them what, what is what is going on. So I think questions are really powerful. Uh, the perhaps and maybe one, and maybe I'd change up to things like how, how, how does this feel? Mm. What happens if, have you considered? Yeah. Because back to the teacher talking time, if, if I'm just talking and there's no feedback, it's just a one-way party for me, right? But if I can't find out from the students what they are feeling or what's happening for them, um, I don't think I've done my job completely. Mm. I, I've mm. conducted a class. I've moved people through a set of poses. But I, to, to really teach, some, we're teaching people, mm. not, not poses. Yeah. You've heard that. This is what teaching people is. It's connecting with them. And the best way to connect with them is through through um, and questions. Oh, I just had an amazing thought about that that I hadn't ever thought of before. And um, I, f- I feel like all the things you're saying, I feel like you're just peering into my own heart because these are, <laughs> these are so many things that I resonate with strongly. And that one-way conversation is something I've reflected on a lot, that if when you are in a class and there's only one person being verbal, and you've got to, well, one, you've got to be really mindful of nonverbal cues that you might get that help change your language, but that's sort of a, an adjacent conversation. What I just thought then when you were speaking is that when you're offering a lot of mindful questions, you, you do cultivate a more of a two-way conversation, but the other part of the conversation is happening mentally for the student. They might not be saying things back to you, but they get to have a, a two-way conversation because when you say to them, how does it feel when you turn your foot in or... What do you notice when you bring the hands together or whatever it is that you might be guiding and they get to answer the question, they get to be part of the conversation. I'd never thought of it that way before. Yeah, and this is this is what I was trying to say before. That's you've put it into a better better um, framework, the teacher talking time. The more you teach, the less they talk. And by talking I mean communication with you. Mm. Yeah there's rumi has got a beautiful quote there's a voice that doesn't use words and mm. i think that's that's what we have to really um try to bring out well for me anyway i think that's important in classes because why are we teaching why are you teaching yin what is the purpose of it what what are, what are you what are we doing i mean what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> there's many ways to teach, right? And for me, to take someone through a set of poses, you know, banana pose, do this, do shoelace, do this, do that, do that. It, it's it's got its place, but I think it's missing. It's, it's to me, it's sort of shallow. I think there's more depth to this practice, and that yeah. that's we're lucky because we've got the time and we can build the right container to make this a more important conversation. And the important conversation is, is people need yin and they need it because they're tired and they need it because they're overworked and they need it because they're stressed and they need it because they've been through trauma or they need it for lots of reasons. So do it justice and make it a communication because 
it's again another definition excuse me definition of yoga is to connect and mm. um yeah yeah and if i was to add to that i'd also in my observations and in what feedback i get from people even though we've had this pandemic which is not done and people were forcefully stopped in their tracks and there was a lot of there was a lot of opportunity to reflect and slow down and some people took that on board and in their stride and other people really were challenged by it mm. uh, i'm not sure how it's going in new zealand but definitely the the cogs are turning again in melbourne and people are working again and i feel mm. that that you know for lack of a better word the sort of the busy culture the yang culture that we are soaking in I just don't know that people get many opportunities to access themselves or if they give themselves enough time to access it where they can really feel or have a have a revelation or clean out their brain or all the things that I think the space in yin gives people pr provides so for me when I'm teaching yin yeah, I'm guiding you through shapes. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give the good. I always call it a score. I'm trying to give a good score, like a musical score of what could happen here. But what I really, what I really want to create for you is a place where you get to get in touch with yourself. Mm. Whatever's in there that needs you to connect with, whether it's challenging or brilliant or everything in between, that's what I think the silence gives. And I love that Rumi quote because in that silence, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm softly sharp in the room and I don't need to say anything because I know that inside every person's mind and inside every person's body on that mat, whilst I might not be speaking, there's so much going on. And new teachers that I speak to get very, very nervous to stop talking because sometimes I think they equate the not talking with, if I'm not talking, then I'm not teaching yoga. So I just have to keep saying things, forgetting that oh, 10 seconds or 30 seconds of them stopping and reconnecting with their breath is oh, crucial for everyone in the room, especially them. Well, um, if you're a teacher and you want to teach how to connect into stillness or the source of everything, then you're teaching by being quiet yourself. So you teach by modeling what it is you're trying to teach. Mm. But yeah, I, I um the the speaking thing, it is it is, I think it's a fear. It's a bit of nervousness. Um, but you know the most intelligent teachers are the ones that say the less actually no i shouldn't say intelligent the most probably experienced teachers often pair it down to quite simple concepts keeping things very simple we're not there to tell students how much we know if, if we're doing that, I would say we're, we're diving into ego, which is, I'm a little bit nervous. I want to let you know how much I know. I want this to be a good experience for you. I want you to like me and respect me because I know this. You, you may not know that's what's happening, but, but it possibly is something to consider. 
could, if you're that person, and we've all been it, so please don't take this as a judgment. Try teaching the class with, with no words. And see how you get on, you know, and how, and watch how comfortable or uncomfortable that is for you. I mean, I feel it now, still 10 years later, I'm looking at the, the sand time, and it's like, there's another minute. <laughs> I should say something. <laughs> and it's un- so this is just a, a, a something in me coming out of me. The students don't mind. They're probably loving the silence because the world is so busy. There's so much noise, visually, auditory. There's information coming at you. They're loving it. The biggest thing students tell me that they don't like is teachers talking too much. Sorry mm-hmm. to everyone out there. I've just got to put that out there. Yeah. That's the feedback I get. Isn't Agreed. Close, but they talk too much. Yeah. I hear it so often. I'm like, yeah. Tricky. You, mm-hmm. It's tricky because uh, you have to give instructions. You know, you can, you do have to set, you have to get people into the shapes and you have to give some guidance. So it's a balancing act. And that's why you need to record yourself and listen to yourself. Yeah, because even that part, the instruction can get incredibly bogged down with lots and lots of detail that might might be necessary for the first round of something. And then how do you how do you just make a reference to what you said? Um, I, I witness a lot of teachers in training that are, they're just, you know, they're, they're cutting their gums, they're, they're figuring things out, which is great because that's, that's how we sharpen our tools, that's how we polish yeah, ourselves, that they might create, say, for example, a vinyasa sequence and then they'll teach it, they'll repeat it two or three times and the brain's done this thing where it's locked a short-term script and they'll say it identically the second round and identically the third round which is a great place to start. It's a place to start, but then uh, how do you just, how do you just reference the first round with key keywords to help people remember what they explored in their body? Is it possible to then get to a place where you might be so minimal, it's just breath or a few mm. really essential words? Yes. That's a, um, and that's the technique we use in the, in the TESOL world. So we'd get people to speak about a topic say like their family for two minutes and then they went allowed to stop and then we said great now take the same topic the essence of it and say it in one minute and go great mm. okay right now 30 seconds and so we keep whittling it down and in the end they've just got a few words and they're the words that you use that's a great exercise yeah it's a good one to do you can use it with your teachers yeah <laughs> That's yeah, so just whittling it down and down and down to the essential language. Mm. Do you do, do you do that in your training? Do you offer that? No, I haven't done that one. <laughs> this I'm is the kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the irony. <laughs> I feel like the, these are the kind of nuggets that teachers t- teachers that are growing and developing <clears throat> are, are craving to learn. Because I also, I, I, say to, I say to a lot of people, hey, once you start teaching, it's really hard to get feedback. You might get a couple of students say, thanks, that was a great class. And that's it. 
or maybe if someone's feeling a bit bolder, they might come up and give you some friendly, constructive criticism or the people that run the studio might, they might be very involved and they might come and participate in your class at regular intervals and give you feedback. But other than that, when you're thinking about, well, where are my shortcomings? Where, where, where can I grow? It's often difficult to get that kind of feedback or that kind of exercise where people can go, oh, what a fantastic way for me to learn how to not keep running on my short-term script. That's, that's gold right there. Mm. Yeah, no one's going to give you feedback. It's tricky. So, Sometimes yeah. it shows up with less people coming back, but you never know why people come and they don't. People have all sorts of things going on in their lives. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you can't you can't judge your class by who shows up and who doesn't show up. No. Yeah. How how did it come to be? I mean, I feel like I feel like I know a little because of because of what you've been saying, but at what point did you feel the inspiration to start taking all the things that you've been witnessing and experiencing and step into the journey of putting pen to paper and creating your book? How did that come to be? Uh, so, as I said, I had all those training courses, lots of different training courses, and I had a pile of notebooks. Have you got a pile of notebooks with notes yes. in them? Yeah. And a pile of books. <laughs> Mm. Um, and I couldn't find anything in any of them actually so I set out to order it to make sense of it and I'd be going through all my notes and you know that's good that's good and then I just started to build this book and that's how it started and then I got right into it and I thought oh, I'm just going to carry on Here's a funny story, you know, beginner's mind, I love to say this to teachers, beginner's mind is fantastic because you just have no filtering system or any boundaries. So when I thought I'd um, first start writing the book, I thought, oh, same thing came up. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not even a writer. Who am I um, to be writing this book? I know I'll get someone to help me, someone really big in the end world. So I... <laughs> He's so polite. Um, he must have thought, who's this nutter? Um, he said, he just wrote back and said, because oh, I'd done a few things on his website. He said, no, you're a good writer. Just you, you do it. You, I'm gonna, he was writing that trilogy at the time. I didn't even know. Oh, that. gosh. And I'm he like, was asking busy. him to, to write my book. <laughs> No, you do it, you do it. You'll be fine. You're a good writer. Just make sure you get it edited. And so so that's what happened. I thought, okay, I don't I this is another let teaching. Stop looking outside of yourself for someone to tell you that you're okay because <sighs> that's the first thing I did. It's the first thing I did when I went on a teacher training course. It's the first thing I did when I started teaching. It's the first thing I did when I got all these people in when I wrote a book it's a continual theme in my life but we already have enough knowledge and information but what sometimes don't have is application and writing is a practice it's just a, it's a yoga practice it's a commitment you know abhyasa yes. continuous 
practice over a long time done with love. That, that's what writing is. And then, you know, like in the Bhagavad Gita, you do the writing, you publish the book. I, I did it. I self-published, right? And I put it on Amazon because they do print on demand. So I didn't need to have, you know, 50,000 unsold books sitting in my bedroom. And I, I literally push a button and it goes out into the world. And then it's like, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> Can I get it back? <laughs> and I just all went from there. So you let go of the results. You do the work. You let go of the results. This is the teaching from the Gita. Mm. And from the time that you were looking through all of your notebooks and pulling out all the gems that you'd collected as a <laughs> student to when you hit that button, what was that time frame like? Oh, it actually, well, um, so it, I, I wrote the book in four or five months. What? And I, I, I know because That's I'm amazing. fluent, you know, it was just pouring out of me. Um, but it was a mess. You okay. know, it was unreadable. It was just all over the place. It was like my brain had just spewed all this stuff out. And some people said, look, you've got to put it in order, you know. you got to." And then I put it in order. I saw where the gaps were. And then I got it edited and edited and edited. And it went on and on and on. And there was a practice and patience. Because I was like, at a certain point, I was done, you know. I can't read mm. it again. Two mm. years later. Two years later. Mm-hmm. It took two yeah. years easily, mm. but it's and not just two years, yeah. it's, it's 15 years. Sure. Leading yeah. up to that point. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. For those of you that haven't um, had the, the glory yet of, of looking at this book, the, like for me, when I looked at the contents and the order and the structure of what is in the book, it's just amazing. And I said this to, to Gabrielle offline before we were recording, just like I said before, when, when I'm reading it, it feels like it feels like you're really peering into my own mind and my own heart as a teacher and the things that I really connect with and the kinds of things that I've also discovered teaching in. And they just it feels like it's flowing out of my body onto paper in just the way that I would connect. And all these things, I'm like, ah, oh, these incredible things that I haven't even been able to put into words yet around language and theming and concepts and then bringing in yogic principles. And then there's all these sequences and posture and, and, and physicality nuggets in there as well. It's so in depth. It's such a beautiful book. It really is. And there's no other book. I have not seen another book like that on the market when it comes to a, a book that you could dive into to help you develop your skills when you're starting to feel like, yeah, I don't know what I'm really saying. I'm really influenced by my favorite yoga teachers. And so I've just begun by saying all the things they say, because they said them with conviction and they really landed with me. And I'm at a stage where I'm just saying what they say, but I'm starting to wonder if I really understand what I'm saying and how do I begin to find my own words for these cues what's really happening in the body how do i develop a theme so one thing that i think about a lot is a theme a lot of people will use the theme um, letting go or to let something go and i i feel the struggle in people not really understanding how to give that kind of a theme more dimensions Mm -hmm. and so they just 
they just have a sentence that is the intention and that sentence just gets repeated multiple times through the class, but it doesn't really go anywhere. So how, how can you does, give how an example that, of that sentence? Yeah, so just notice, notice, um, notice if any thoughts are coming up and just let them go. Okay, <laughs> right. Which yeah. is always the easiest thing to do, right? Oh, okay. Oh, peaceful. But that they might use that in this, they might use that. Um, so they use it as a, as a direction, but not as an, there's no method behind it. A method. There's no way that it relates to maybe the way you're breathing, or there's no way mm. that it could be a metaphor. There's no way that you might relate that to your body experience or your sensations that just might give it more avenues than just being repeated over and over again, where it just, as I said before, can become a frustrating thing to hear because I don't know what to do well, with that. Yeah, I think this is a good point. So a lot of the yin philosophy is based around letting go, right? We're letting go of the musc muscles so we can relax more into the connective tissue. We're letting go, of, hopefully, of the thought processes as the body comes down. Um, we're let, maybe letting go of of um, the fact that we don't look like the person next to us or we're letting go of the idea that you say we could do something or couldn't or could do something and today we can't do something so there are all these little lovely ways of bringing it into the practice but the thing is with theming is that unless you have been through something and had to let it go and haven't have processed that and understood the lesson from it then you're not teaching the theme you're just giving it lip service mm. so maybe you've lost someone and you've been through that stage and you've processed it and you've come out with the the end result then you are qualified to talk about letting go we've all had these experiences in our life we just need to think about them and the other thing with a theme like letting go of anything and this is important for yin and yang is you can't have one without the other so if you're going to talk about letting go you also have to talk about what the result of that is the filling up and all the space created so yeah. themes are they have to happen in context rather than just it's like the word relax like you say to mm -hmm. someone just relax relax it, it doesn't mean anything how do i relax i am relaxed but you're not obviously you know your muscles are very tight you don't even know what relaxation is because you spend your life being tense the same yeah. relax we need to have tools as to how to convey our things, mm. I think. Mm. Yeah. And, and with that word relax, what, I, what I've also heard from people is that if they just get that sort of command said over and over to relax and they don't know how to do that or they don't have an instruction, what they can become acutely aware of is how tense they are and they become <laughs> more and more tense. <laughs> so it actually does the opposite thing. <laughs> oh that's interesting all oh, right yeah it becomes meaningless maybe in some ways yes. well it highlights how 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 not relaxed they are and how mm. trying to relax is 
making the tension stronger versus a different way to talk about relaxing? I don't use, I'm sure I say relax and let go and all those things, but I don't tend to use those words so much. I would tend to use metaphor because if you are tense and you've been tense in your life, that tension's made a home in your body. So you might think you're relaxed, but you're like really actually quite tense because you don't, it's become uh, the norm for you. So metaphor is really a good way of helping students understand where they're holding tension or tightness in their body. Mm. So an example of a metaphor is just to compare something, a part of the body to something else, um, just off the top of my head, you know, let, let the, let, um, let your body melt like butter. Maybe I wouldn't Mm. use that one, but, um, something like Mm. that. Just so, um, they have a visual of what it actually is to relax. I think it's a better approach. I'll sort of try, I'll, I'll say to students that have that come up, I'll say, what do you feel in your body when you are relaxed? Like what, what happens? And then see if it's possible to, so that the, the, the offering might be that the, the instruction or the cue could be, um, is it possible to invite a feeling of heaviness into your heels? So instead of saying, relax your feet. Mm. Yeah. Or notice the way your heels are resting on the floor and just let the floor hold your feet something that might help them get a feeling of change rather than something I've got to do myself to get an outcome, which is to relax. Okay. I I don't know how to do that. And now I'm really aware that I'm not relaxed and I'm totally distracted (laughs) by it or or, or however else that might spiral out, even though it's coming from such a well-intentioned place. It's like when you're having an argument with your partner and they're telling you to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I am calm. Does that work? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds I like what you're saying is, is just trying to help people um, find another way, like find, find another way to, like obviously the intention with what you want to say is there. How do you find another way with that intention to come around with a different a different different approach with the words you're choosing or the imagery you might be inspired by. Mm, I think so. And always start with the body because it's the most tangible thing. I mean, we live in it. So it's pretty easy to start with the body and cue the body to help us get these concepts across. Mm. Yeah. So in the book, there's a lot around, and, and now that I know your history in being a language teacher and how much you must have learned in a field that wasn't yogic but is totally relatable to a yoga mm. space, tell us a little bit more about um, what, you, what you've included in the book when it comes to words because the title of the book is about language. Like a lot of the book mm. has come from a language place, right? Mm. Yeah, the language of yin. The language of yin. Um, I think I, I think I wanted to provide a resource for teachers because, as we talked about before, there wasn't much available. For there's a lot about anatomy, and the mm. bones and the joints, and and actually, I'm 
wasn't that interested in anatomy. I, it's you need to know it. I see its place. I, I like aspects of it, but I'm more interested in how to create an experience for the student, how to create a container for the student, and you know, this is words are all we have. You know, we, I mean, the universe. This is was created from a vibration. The word "om" comes from that, and that carries meaning. And this meaning um, can seep into your body. So words carry vibration, and they carry energy, and they carry, carry intention. And, and as a teacher, that's all we have to portray meaning. And I felt that there's a real lack in, on the in the market for something like that to help teachers to to give teachers tools to embrace what yoga was through through their words because words are so powerful right they they have the ability to to hurt us and they have the ability to heal us and mm. i i'm not asking people to be poets but can you imagine how powerful it is to just say one little thing that lands with someone and it changes their whole life it's possible it's possible and you know people want to be seen and they want to be heard and we as yoga teachers we have the privilege of of standing up you know day after day to to offer this ancient art and we can choose how we do it but if we choose these words that are based in ahimsa, you know, in kindness, and we choose words that help elevate and lift people up higher, and we choose words that give people agency or choice, or we just say something that makes someone feel seen or heard, then I think job done. Mm. I don't care oh. where your bones are. <laughs> oh, I do, sorry. <laughs> don't cut me out of the yoga world. Uh, bones are important. Um, so good, <laughs> sad. So beautifully said. And the imprint of a word or a phrase in a in a class can stay with you for a really, really long time. Yeah, yeah. And that can be something that sets you on a path of intense um, critique of your own Inquiries. Yeah, inquiry from something that you're grappling with on your own journey to self-acceptance. And, and it can also be, like you said, these moments of, absolute transformation like total light bulb moments just from someone helping you to feel it differently with the power of their words and it might be just one word or it might be that analogy of butter it might be that metaphor of butter rather and I, I'm not sure that all yoga teachers understand that yet just how powerful words are well, a uh, couple of things. Um, Yoga is a conversation, really, isn't it? I mean, we say the definition of yoga is, is communion and, and joining, but it's a conversation. And just as some, maybe some advice to teachers, a lot of, I think a lot of, the reasons one of the reasons why people like my classes is they come out and they say just what you said actually Katrina 
I felt like you were talking to me. And I'm not talking to him. I'm usually just talking about myself, actually. <laughs> but, you know, stuff that I've been through or how I've experienced things, but I'm translating it into a general way that it's not about me, it's generic. And because the, the human condition has so many commonalities, whatever I've been through, you've probably been through, or someone else in the cast has been through, that if we can find a way to converse with people about their life in, in a, in a non-threatening, generic way, they're going to think you're talking to them. Mm. And that's where the magic happens. Because if you want someone to learn something about themselves, first of all, they've got to recognize it in themselves. And if you can say one thing that makes them think, just like you said, oh, maybe I, I don't voice my opinions that much. I'm going to go home and <laughs> voice my opinion. No, but if you say one thing that helps them learn something about themselves, I think I think that that's you've really done a service in some ways. Mm. Not telling them about themselves, but something that it's like a seed that makes them create more awareness about themselves. That's how I approach it. Yeah. The other thing I want to say is that what's really important is if you drop a nugget into a class, don't say anything after it. Because I've had some beautiful things and then now move your leg to the right. But <laughs> I'm like, what? Why? Leave, mm. leave it to sit mm. in, in the room. Just like, you know, that thing mic drop? Yeah. <laughs> Just a mic drop. And then there's nothing. Yeah. And then they're processing it and, you know, I think this, this makes it more potent. So I always, if I say something, there's a space afterwards. Agreed. Makes me yeah. think of what we were saying earlier around your acronym. Mm. You know, why am I talking? Yeah. And if someone says 10 phenomenal things back to back, They've all been a bit wasted because none of them have had space to be digested. And sometimes someone's class plan and all the things they say is 10 classes. And if they could just rearrange it and pull, pull them out, they've got, they've got content and verbiage for 10 practices by adding exactly. in more space. Yeah. And just giving each of them some more breathing room. And that's why it's the repetition is good. So if you've got a theme of letting go and use it for the next 10 classes, it's going to develop. Yeah. And you're going to build up that library. So it is a good idea to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were there other things that you wanted to share with us today? I know that you, you did some Ooh. wonderful preparation. I did. I did. I'm the preparer. Um, so... Uh, let me see. Um, another thing that I think is really important is to learn from our students. Like we think that we are teaching them, but they're also teaching us. So that's going back to the questions. I think it's really important to get feedback and ask students how they felt about something, even after the class, what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy, what they found difficult, what, what resonated with them. And also watch your cues because if you also see confusion in the class, 
then that that's a, a spot that you need to work on so learn learn from the students and and get to know them and 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 use that to teach teach your yourself as well in terms of queuing i think it's really important that you can teach students as if they were blindfolded or teach yeah. from the back of the room where they can't see you because this is really going to sharpen up your queuing and you can, you can move bodies into positions without them seeing you i'm not saying you have to teach like that but that that is what is going to sharpen up your queuing yeah. so i've got some homework for the listeners to teach this is this will get them twisted roots from the back of the class oh yeah <laughs> yeah so i think that's really important and also in terms of queuing um i think that getting students in and in, in out of a pose is as important so before you want to get them out of a pose i think you need to tell students give them a little countdown or a, a let's say just another couple of breaths in this pose or something like that to give them a bit of warning because if you if they're in a pose and suddenly they're yanked out of it without warning it can be a little bit jolting so just take your time with that getting in and out of poses mm. yeah so uh what what else um yeah i think um with yin yoga because we teach functionally well i do anyway that's how i was taught um we give students options to to do different um shapes but because of you know socio-normative uh, culture that we live in people just want to do what the person next to them is doing because they don't want to stick out as looking different or being odd or special so i think we've got a really fine-tune our cues as to giving permission for people to, to do something different so this is something i'm still working on because it's a little bit of a tricky um, mm. i don't know about you how you find that i i find that as, as well as that sort of that um tendency in people sometimes it's because they want to do it right mm. you know i want to i want to if this person's doing it that way and i'm not sure what i'm doing i might sort of copy them a bit because i want to make sure I'm, i don't want to stand out because i don't want to be doing it wrong no and that's 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 the issue as students want to look the same as a person next to them yeah and I saying you can yeah. take this option doesn't work actually well if the if the intention is really washed a lot with the target areas and target areas being the the roadmap of the practice. I, I talk about them as a roadmap. It's, here's a roadmap, but you might you might travel a different way than the person next to you. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. And to with the questions to constantly be guiding them back to what are you feeling? So these are this is the map. What are you feeling in that map? It, it might be that one of those target areas doesn't really show up in this pose for you. Give yourself the space to move around. What happen, what, you know, what happens if you crawl over to the left a little bit? What happens if you crawl to the right? See if you can find something interesting whilst also paying attention to whether you can breathe with ease here or if the rest of your body is guarding up. And I do find that a lot of people take that up okay, and they do explore. Good. 
Yeah, and I love it's such a satisfying thing to see that people mm. will colour outside of the lines because it is that functional approach. It's not a once I'm in, I'm locked in position and I'm not allowed to move for three minutes. Mm. And they will, you know, I, I don't teach public classes regularly at the moment, but I would have regulars that just knew, oh, yeah, when we do saddle pose, I do something at the wall and they don't even need to be prompted. They'll just pick up their stuff and go to the wall uh, or they'll do upside down dragon at the wall, dragonfly at the wall. And I'll just be like, ah, oh, this is so great. I'll look around the room and people are doing really different stuff. Mm. And I haven't had to prompt it that much because they've come to my class regularly enough to know this is my mm. version of that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've built that up though, haven't you? So you, you've taught students how to treat themselves and that's a beautiful quality of a teacher. You're teaching someone how to treat themselves and mm. how to look after themselves and that, that in itself is a, a lovely teaching. So congratulations. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's to the untrained yin, the yin teacher or teacher to look around the room and see that much variation can freak someone out thinking, mm. oh my gosh, it's all different. But when you yeah. when you get seasoned, you look around, you're like, this is ace. They mm. know what they need. We're all sort of semi on the same path. We're all kind of exploring the same target area, but we've all found our own unique way to do it that works for us. And I just want to sort of take a step back. I don't need to do anything else until it's time to come out and then make sure you remind people that if they've chosen to go to the wall, they may want to stay there for the rebound. You don't have to rush back in a hurry to the middle of the room. Just stay there until you're so, ready. That's right. So what you've done is you've created an environment of permission. And this is something there's teachers we need to work on. Because we're, we're so programmed to do what we're told and to be good and to look like the person next to us that we, we don't want yeah. to step out of line. And one of the awesome things about yin yoga being slow, when you are teaching regularly and you've got regular students that come, you've got the time to sit with them and troubleshoot with them what, what happens when you add a block or you don't add a block and you can actually customize and tailor something with them in a therapeutic way and you can even say to them so next time you come to practice this might be the way that you do do a backbend instead of sphinx and then when they come and they do it you're able to do that versus how challenging it is in a faster paced yoga class like a vinyasa class you almost kind of have to catch them at the end if you've seen and i haven't taught vinyasa for a long time but if you see that someone's quote unquote struggling to get in there, to get out of your skipping rope and jump into theirs and still be mm -hmm. jump roping with the rest of the room, that, mm -hmm. is, uh, that is a skill. And you, don't, you can't check in necessarily and ask questions, but the yin gives you that space. And I think that that's one of its um, gifts for mm -hmm. teacher-student when you've got mm -hmm. many people in the room. Definitely. Yeah, we do have that space. I love that. I love that jumping out of your skipping rope into someone else's skipping rope. <laughs> Double dutch, you're just like, I can't. Just up next time I, to, uh, and take a flow and then, <laughs> and then you're done. Yeah. I know, I've been there. It's, it's big. Um, mm. So bravo to anyone listening that teaches flow class and manages to still weave in and out and, <laughs> and be able to do what we're talking about in a faster 
way. So yeah, kudos to you. Yeah, you mm. keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> well done. <laughs> we'll just stay here. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, what what other things before we finish? Um, I think um, just another couple of tips for teaching, maybe before we finish up. I think it's really important to, uh, some people may, may not agree with me, but I think it's important to plan your classes so you know what you're going to teach, but be prepared to give it away. And then I think it's important to tell students what you're going to teach them. So, so they, they know that there's a, a reason for why they're doing these things. It's just to put things mm -hmm. into context. And I also am a really big fan on giving students homework because oh. if they only come once a week or twice a week and then go home and then you were talking about this before, how they take it out into their lives. So if they've got some tools to like, okay, so the next time you're stressed, you do this pranayama or this mudra or why don't you go home and put your legs up the wall try it every night this week or can you sit on your mat for a couple of minutes each morning as you get out of bed so it keeps the practice alive and so when they come back they've, they've got some more experience in yoga rather than just picking it up and putting it down mm. yeah and are they quite typical tasks homework tasks that you might give give out those mm. that you've said yeah i'm always encouraging people for meditation uh and usually your legs up the wall i say if you've only you can only do one pose do this one yeah. um yeah yeah nice these things at home to create a home practice and what else have i done i've also done um the you know the yamas and the yamas as well so practices or practice that mm, yeah beautiful where it's really needed yeah like it's great mm. when you're in class but then oh, when the stress levels rise or there's anxiety or life throws you a curveball that's when we really need all the tools that we've been learning in yoga and and be able to have that now to bring it into the moment yeah exactly exactly that's what we're hoping for right we keep practicing yeah and we keep yeah. practicing so when life strikes at us we're, we're we've got a little bit more resilience that's my <laughs> hope for me anyway <laughs> yes and i i can say with confidence that that's definitely been the case for me you know after many many years of practicing yoga and having a very regular meditation practice it works it does for me it gives me that gap between something happening and me reacting. And mm. I would say single-handedly that's come from meditation, mm. learning, learning where you really exist and that you are not your thoughts that you have. You've actually got a wide, well, for me, I have a wide margin of space between me and the world to redirect rather than just get sucked in. And then I'm at the mercy most of the time, not all the time, but enough for me to notice that that's come from uh, a long dedicated chipping away at sitting with myself 
Yeah, good for you. And that's that's the beauty of yin too, isn't it? Because we have these things come up, discomfort physically or mentally, emotionally, and we we're staying. We're not we're not reacting and running off. So I think yin's like mini meditations as well. You're sitting with yourself. Yeah. And yeah, creating this awareness. We're we're just creating awareness of ourselves. That's it. So how can people find out about your offerings? Oh, Have you okay. got a yeah. uh, um well I've got a website so it's under my name. Yeah. Uh I don't offer much actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, Do you have upcoming trainings listed there? Yeah, I've but you'd have to be in New Zealand and no one lives here. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know who's listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Our audience I've is got growing. I've another book, that. though. Did you know? No, I did not. So uh, does that show up back to front to you? No, no it doesn't. Inspired yoga teacher. Mm. Wait, so, no, talk about the second book. I didn't no, even no, know that's okay. I just want to show you this black and white thing going on. Ah, so I've got the yin and the yang. Yeah. Yeah. The beautiful books. So the first book is called The Language of Yin and the second book is called The Inspired Yoga Teacher. Inspired Yoga Teacher. And where so can this people is the, the Yang people? That's got I snuck, I snuck some I snuck some yin in there. <laughs> Just as between well. Between the pages when they weren't yeah. looking. <laughs> um and they're both on Amazon. Yeah, they're both doing really well. But I sell like 80% of them in the States. Great. Yeah. So, and I'm writing again, um, writing another book. So hopefully, something. yeah, I enjoy the writing. And yeah, I've got the course coming up and I teach. What's, what's the third book? Um, what's the flavor of the third book? Are we allowed to know? I, I feel like, I don't know. I'd like to tell you, but. What what I've what I've been doing <laughs> is taking poses individually and writing about them in depth, like sort of um, more of a I guess spiritual or psychological or not not anything physical really mm. about them. So so the stories behind them, how we can how they how they teach us in life. Um, poetry, um, just little things like that. So I've, I've done a number of poses now, and it's very challenging to try to to, to tie all the yoga philosophy into them. But it's, I'm getting there. It's enjoyable. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, we look forward to that when yeah, that's ready. So do I. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. This has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for everything that you have contributed to the yoga community from that first moment of thinking, how can we get yin yoga to New Zealand and beginning to coordinate that for people living in New Zealand to all the work that you've done, being part of those trainings, and then bringing all of the knowledge that you have um, garnered over the years and publishing them in books that you've shared with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing that work. Amazing. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Yeah. And so to everyone that's listening, um, good luck with your yoga journey. And, and also please contact me if you've got any questions or you need any information about what I've said today. Um, mm. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank mm. you.
Thank you so much. Great conversation. See you later, Gab. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.